welcome. Thanks for tuning in. I'm here to share wisdom that will empower you to create and maintain happiness, inner peace, and success in all your goals. So let's get started. Hi, welcome to Wellness Wisdom. I am Sharon White Fawn, the founder of White Fawn Wellness, and I have with me today Rose Fluharty. Hi, Rose. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This is exciting. Rose and I have a lot in common in terms of nutrition and health education, and this is just really exciting for us to have this conversation together. So if it's okay with you, Rose, I'm going to read your bio, and then we'll get into the meat of it all. Sounds good. Okay, cool. You have a great bio. Rose Blue Hardy is a certified nutrition specialist credentialed by the American Nutrition Association through its Board for Certification of Nutrition Specialists. Rose holds a graduate degree in clinical nutrition from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. It is the oldest accredited naturopathic medical school in all of North America. She previously received her degree from Portland State University in public health and focusing on community health education and working with inner city youth. Much of her knowledge and her experience comes from working closely with real people, relationships, work environments, travel, and all of the hard stuff that's been life's biggest learning opportunities. While Rose is grateful to have had the privilege to spend in higher education, there are deep stories to learn from every day uh, listening and reading. So you continue your education today and that's really important, especially in the nutrition world. I find everything is changing so quickly and we're learning more and more. And it's really fascinating, actually. Rose was born in Mariposa County and she enjoys claiming that she was born in a barn in Kathy's Valley. Growing up in Mariposa allowed a unique opportunity to experience rural life before traveling to different parts of the world. In a full circle, she has returned back to Mariposa to start her own clinical nutrition practice here in 2021. And she lives on one acre with her partner and two dogs enjoying the country life. Whew, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So full circle, I love that, coming back to where you began. And so on that topic of where you began, how did you begin your journey into nutrition? Like, was that something that was always in you from the very, very beginning? You just were always drawn to food. Um, I'm really curious what led you into clinical nutrition as a profession. Good question. And thank you for reading that bio, Sharon. It's <laughs> wonderful to be here. Um, I, I love food, you know, and I think that it started with eating or, or perhaps the struggle with eating, which was sort of a thing as a young person for me. Um, I liked cooking. I enjoyed gardening, but I struggled with what worked for my body, um, particularly up until adulthood. It was just kind of a lot of nutritional questions there. And I had some really wonderful medical support throughout my life. <clears throat> Learned a lot from different doctors that helped me, but I knew that there was more to know about food. You know, like there was some kind of secret underlying information that just needed more, more focus. And, um, and so that, and so this, the idea of nutrition popped up. I had no 
concept of this being a job or a career um, until, you know, the last five or 10 years. I just, I thought it was an interest or a, just a focus for myself, but I don't even know if I knew that there were nutritionists in the world up until maybe the last decade. So it wow. was a really big experience, even recognizing that this is something I could be or do for the world. So coming to that recognition took, took some time on its own. So that's kind of a big answer to a a really important question. Yeah. So I'm interested. Something you said makes me wonder, did you have some type of an illness or something that you struggled with that nutrition helped you to heal? Yes and no. I do think that working around some allergies and intolerances, like some gut issues as a kid, did was kind of the finite stuff that we were looking at, you know, in terms of lab results and learning about physiology. That was what the medical world wanted to focus on. It took a lot longer for me to look into the emotional side of things and the kind of interconnection between psychosocial, um, emotional health. That came much later, but it definitely started with an allergy, which I thought was going to ruin my life, you know, finding out that I had an allergic, uh, a, a wheat allergy. I was 12 or 13, you know, that life was over at that point. Like I couldn't eat anymore. And it led me to just look at what else was in the world. And there's, there's lots and lots and lots of different types of food. But up until that point, I just thought, you know, that's everything I eat. So what do I do now? And it forced me into, okay go to the health food store, look on the shelves, listen to my mother. There's a lot of different out there. Yeah. That's wonderful. And I love that component of the emotionality with food, because I think that um, I see it, I, I experience it myself, you know, uh, but in our world, there's just so much emotionality around food and so many triggers and so many like cultural or familial type things that we're exposed to that's like normal or natural for our family, or this is just how I do it, but not paying attention to the bigger picture, you know, just to eat a slice of bread or put butter on it. Just like, well, this is just what we do and comfort food and all of that that's tied into our diet. And it has to be quick because we're too busy and, you know, I'm stressed out. So I'm going to eat this thing and it's going to make me feel better, but it doesn't really make you feel better and ultimately could make us sick, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, what did you learn? I don't know how to make this into a question, but, you know, you mentioned the emotional component to eating. And so what is it that you see either in your life or in your clinical practice with, with clients? Mm. So much inflammation, you know, and I think that clinically, that's what we see a lot of this um, turns out to look like in labs or on, on a biological level. Um, we see that inflammation just pushes to us towards multiple levels of chronic disease risk. And over time, even something as simple as an allergy could really inflame you to a point of being at risk for other comorbidities. So and time dealing with these things at a younger age and starting to reduce that inflammation has been really important, I think, to avoid some other situations that could have come up. So to be frank, a lot of it is 
based on our level of inflammation that I think we're experiencing, not only from our dietary intake, but from our environment that we're living in and the toxins that we're all experiencing, which is variable depending on your where you live and it depends on your zip code. But those of us that have moved around in life also still carry those impacts with us and not only in our own lifetime, but in our previous generation's lifetime. So it's huge. And I do think this is a multi-leveled conversation that involves some intersectionality, but what it looks like now in the modern day, I think we're seeing inflammation overload and how do we address that with diet? Yay. Really delicious food, you know? So that's the part about nutrition is that it's tasty. And when we start to talk about anti-inflammation and all of these big concepts, it often looks like something like berries or something very, very attractive. So I do find that nutrition is, can be a really positive part of healthcare and, and, and wellness because it's actionable. Mm. It's like, what tomorrow, what are you going to eat tonight? What do you, what, what can I do right now? Yeah. That's a relief. So yeah, right. It's like we're empowered because it's something we can do ourselves. Um, I wake up thinking about what sometimes I go to sleep thinking about what am I going to make tomorrow? You know, what veggies do I have in the refrigerator and how can I blend this with that? And what flavor do I want? And, you know, I just like I get excited. Food excites me. Uh, I just I'm, I made a salad before we got started and I'm slicing. You know, I like how you said it's in the berry, you know like just a simple, plain, bright red berry or, you know, and so when I prepare my food, like I just connect with that. So I was slicing the veggies for my salad today and I'm looking at these carrots that I got from Raw Roots. It's our local organic farm here in Mariposa and I'm slicing and I'm like, oh my gosh, you are so beautiful. Like I'm just like talking to it lovingly and I want to, um, you know, bring up that topic too with our food is the energy that we give it and the energy it's a reciprocal, right? Like I'm loving on this, on this carrot when I was slicing, oh my gosh, you should see, and these potatoes, these purple potatoes, just vibrant. So anyway, I'm slicing all of this stuff up and I'm looking, I'm talking to it beautifully and um, I'm just getting their energy before I ever even eat it. I feel like I'm getting the healing energy from these foods. And at the same time, blessing our farmers and blessing the earth and being grateful for that. So then that reciprocation. So later when we're done our interview, I'm going to eat that salad and I get to take all of that in, right? Like that that energy that doesn't get talked about in food with our foods. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. What is it about raw roots carrots? There's something about that particular farm's carrots. They're the best thing I've ever eaten. I don't understand. I think it's just the love of their energy that they put into their farming. They're clearly passionate about what they're doing and just all of their food is just but yeah the carrots often I'll juice them greens and all like I buy them with all that green stuff just put all that right through the juicer or if I don't juice it I'm slicing that those greens and putting it in my salad just they just do an amazing job so shout out to raw roots for sure yes agreed <laughs> and they're raising kids that on the farm and they're just just healthy every every level for sure I, and that's just the picture, you know, how do we support them 
how do we get how how do we help those types of folks thrive in our community? You know, what what do they need? And I think when we talk about roots, root vegetables in particular are so yummy. But considering and considering the area that we live in that's experienced so much soil degradation, mining, coal, you know, all of the different things that have been done in this region of the central Sierras, I do think that working particularly with the soil and regenerating our soil and like you're appreciating these vegetables that have spent time underground, these are levels that we're working to heal the underground, you know, we're, we're somewhat rematriating ourselves on this land by protecting our soils and regenerating that part of our earth. I think that's very particularly, um, I feel very particularly strong about that in this area because there's been so much done to our earth here, our literal soil, yeah. because gold mining area or whatever we call it, you know, whatever happened a hundred years ago. I think that, I mean, we're still in recovery from that very modern soil impact. And so when I see farmers or I see people that are appreciating and regenerating the soil with pollinators or with different plants and herbs and everything that is being done, I think that's part of our ecosystem coming back to life and particularly from underneath. And I know that sounds very um, long-term, like that's going to take forever for us to recover from that amount of, of impact, but look what they're doing, for example, regenerating their soil, you know, yeah. that's obviously that's, doable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And, um, that's really, you know, can tr contrast that the potatoes that we get locally here from organic farming or anywhere in the, in the region or the world, really, you know, there's organic farming happening and that's wonderful and blessings to all of those farmers who do that. Contrast that with the uh, dried potatoes that you get in a box in a package on a grocery store shelf, mm -hmm. right? So what nutritionally from your knowledge base, what can you tell the people, those who are listening today about the value or not value of, you know, comparing those two? Well, I think this is all based on, you know, socioeconomic circumstances. Um, people have different levels of food access. Some people will always have um, a certain trajectory when it comes to the access to food that they have, which is, um, which is where we're at in the world. That's our challenge, I think, as far as like how to make this accessible and affordable and all of this beautiful regenerative regenerative farming and uh, progress that we're making that we're talking about right now, how do we make that accessible to everybody, right? Because a lot of the folks that are ending up eating the types of foods that you're contrasting with say this beautiful fresh potato don't necessarily wanna be eating that way. And so I think that there are a lot of people that are in, um, positions either financially or just because of their economic circumstances that their body is used to eating processed and easy to find food you know basically survival mode sure. um 
a lot of that involves preservatives. And so not only the processing is happening in order for these foods to become more um, accessible to at a cheaper price, basically, then they're adding preservatives so that they last longer. So it's again, I think that goes back to somebody wanted to make potatoes more shelf stable and they got ruined, you know? And so now we think that potatoes are unhealthy when really the original form of it is a beautiful vitamin C rich potassium fiber that I would recommend most people to eat. Yeah. But which one do you have time to make? Where do you get it? All of it's just, I think it's hard to talk about when we talk about processed foods and junk foods and all of these kind of quote, I mean, it's, it's what people have access to. I, I do believe that we are lucky to live in an area where we have so much access to growing our own foods. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I think people are either trying to make food last longer or stay on their shelf um, make it affordable, you know? And so of course things like garlic lose a lot of their antioxidant qualities when they're put into that form, you know, and we're like, dang it, such a beautiful food, but people got to eat, you know? And so I think there's just this really huge level of injustice when it comes to people not being able to access these fresh foods. So, right. Seeds are inexpensive, but we've got to protect them. We need to teach people how to do this on their own and bring this back to a sustainable level so people can do this in their own home. It's it's simple to cook. We know that there's a way that we can improve food access just by giving people basic health education skills. That should be free. That's the issue. That's not in school. That's an issue, you know? And so God love the master gardeners and the other people that are devoting their time you you know in our community Sharon <laughs> people just need the education I really do believe that there's a lot of uh, want for that um that learning out there it's just yeah, that's such a great point Rose really true I grew up in poverty and my mother was a single mom with six kids in Philadelphia inner city um I mean we grew up on it was called no frills boxes of mac and cheese it wasn't even craft it was called no literally it said no frills it was a black and white box and I think it was six or eight for a dollar that we bought with our food stamps and hot dogs boiled hot dogs this is basically what I grew up on and um I I didn't like it I won't eat mac and cheese now nor a hot dog uh and uh yeah so I think you know partly for me my drive to it was just I couldn't eat another thing in a box and uh I mean not that I didn't eat processed foods after that don't get me wrong but the more I learned like you said that education right so learning to take something that was in a box that's processed and then adding some chopped up spinach you know adding a little something so I can get a nutrient in there somehow and still you know I mean I'm I'm blessed now but you know I was not for a very long time and so learning it's funny at the health food store I just only buy things on sale I buy things on the clearance right you know I mean like there are ways to do it economically and it's still expensive and food right now is just ridiculously expensive everywhere you go especially in California where it's mostly grown and it's mind-boggling to me but don't get me started down that rabbit hole (laughs) so when we're on a budget 
one of the ways that I've discovered was, you know, okay, so I like spinach. So I would buy fresh spinach and then I would chop it up and add it to the processed thing or buy, you know, certain fresh foods that I like and figure out how to incorporate it in with the less um, expensive thing in the box on the shelf with the longer shelf life. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yes. A frozen pizza. Um, I put, I mean, canned tuna, there's things that there's, there's foods in the middle of the aisles that we can definitely work with, right? We, we want all the fresh foods, but it's also about like how long it's going to last for you too. Um, so I love pestos and I love hummus and things like that, where then you get this olive oil base and it lasts for a week, you know? And so rather than, okay, we're going to start eating all of these greens, for example, is this one health, one health impact that can we know is primarily useful for almost everybody. Um, but then they go bad two days later and you're like, oh my gosh, I spent $18 on these beautiful greens and they're, and I have to eat them instantly. So just learning how to, that that's a preservative that's effective, you know, and healthy. And um, so teaching people to make pestos and things that'll just condense all of those foods into one thing it's a tactic, right? But it's the same concept as how do we make these foods a little bit more affordable and accessible and dense. Yeah. But I love your, um, what you were saying about how, what, what can we mix in? What can we add to the thing? How can we make foods last a little bit longer? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I think that's where people can get really stuck with foods too. It's like, oh my gosh, okay. If you can figure out one thing that works for you and eat that several times a week, that's, that's okay. That's allowed. That's not cheating, you know? And so, um, not having to come up with something new constantly, it's okay. And I think that can be a little bit of a relief sometimes too, when we're figuring things out. So, um, how do you feel living in California? I have a question for you. Okay. How do you feel living in California? And I know you've been here for a long time, but still with your family on the east coast and um of course that's how I refer to Pennsylvania I don't know if that's how it is for sure <laughs> one state from the ocean <laughs> so to us Californians we just have no idea what it's really like out there to eat sometimes and I do feel like that's, I want to admit, you know, this is, I've spent a lot of time on the West coast like of, of the United States. And that is a really different food story. It is. It really is. It's, and that's a great question. So it's interesting because I am very much into food and, and love buying local. And um, I love raw foods. I just happen to love raw fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. It's just, that's what I'm drawn to. Uh, but I do notice when I travel back and forth, because my family is back east, that I eat differently. I don't eat as healthy when I'm back east, which seems really strange. But um, the, I have a great kitchen here, and I have a great resource for fresh, healthy foods here, and I forage the land here. There, there's everybody spraying, you know, weed poisoning on their lawns, like I it's just there's toxicity in the atmosphere it's just a completely it's really from my experience very very opposite uh so when I'm there everything is so easy I could uber or I would uber eat a pizza if I wanted to you know I can 
there's food everywhere and it's not the best quality food. There are some great vegan restaurants. Don't get me wrong. My daughter is vegan. I love going to her house for dinner. I'm like, can I come over for dinner? Um, but it's just, it's that mentality. It's like a trigger maybe for me, you know, that emotional component that we talked about earlier. When I'm here, I'm in this emotional state of mind with, you know, everything is just like, it's just cleaner. It's just nicer. It's more open. I live on 23 acres of, you know, with filled with native plants, right? And then there I live in a very noisy little neighborhood with, I can hear the guy next door sneeze and I could hear the people upstairs flushing the toilet. Like it's just, and so there's like a different level of stress that happens there. And so maybe I do a little more like emotional eating fast food type stuff going to restaurants a little bit more because it's just so accessible i can walk to like without exaggeration probably a dozen restaurants i could walk to in less than one mile from where i live there not even kidding um and a, more socialization with people and everybody's bringing this stuff and none of it's really you know that's i'm not saying it's unhealthy but just not to the level here so yeah geographically even with myself and i consider myself knowledgeable and motivated and I do eat healthy when I'm there, don't get me wrong. But it's just, uh, it is different. I notice a very distinct difference, East Coast to West Coast eating. You know, mm -hmm. we're ready to go to Italy. Well, not even getting ready. It's six, seven months from now. And I'm already thinking about the food I'm going to have in Italy. <laughs> this is how much I'm like, you know, uh, fascinated or, you know, consumed by food, just culinarily speaking. And I'm not a chef or anything like that. But I do love eating and preparing healthy foods it's the best yeah 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 so yeah that's that's what I experience east to west coast knowing knowing what I know yeah makes sense it makes sense and I think knowing yourself is best you know when you when you travel planning ahead it's because you know what you know your own needs and I I'm I think that's a, a good skill to be able to kind of go out in the world and know like food is my thing. I'm probably going to be planning my trip around it. Just it's true. I was like, I wonder if they juice in Italy, like where I'm going, it's going to be some more remote areas in the Northern part of the country. I'm like, do they, are people juicing there? You know, I love to juice. And so, yeah, it's, it's just funny that I already think about that, but <laughs> I'm very food conscious and, uh, but I'm really, and not strict, but I have very, uh, strong parameters for me personally, like in terms of processed food, I think just from growing up on so much processed food and, you know, the government cheese and all that kind of stuff. Like I want very much to eat clean for the most part. I eat really clean, um, raw. Like I said, uh, I don't eat past 7 PM. I'm kind of strict about that. Uh, I like to wake up my digestive system in the morning gently with, you know, water first. I drink a lot of water. Um, now I'm juicing ginger and putting juiced ginger and lemon in my water. Isn't that fun for the winter? Antiviral and cleansing and purifying. Uh, and then I'll have something to eat. You know, like I sort of like prepare my gut and it's sort of ritualistic. I have a lot of ritual. When I prepare my food, I'm almost always, you know, thankful and showing gratitude and having that reciprocity. Even when I make my blender drinks, I have my hands on top of the blender while it's blending and I'm blessing the earth and the farmers and the, everything that's in there. And um, talk about buying produce, something you said earlier, because it goes bad so quickly, 
and especially now at you know the farm at raw roots where we get our produce Mm-hmm. there's it's limited now because it's winter right we only have this much so i'm getting as much as i can and then i'm freezing it i'm chopping it up and putting it in the freezer i've even taken the beets and cut them up into little tiny squares along with the greens freezing them so i can put them right in my blender drink so i'll still be able to get them because you know i'm buying as much as i possibly can now because i know in two weeks we're not going to have anything and then i'm stuck with the supermarket that's you know they don't have the best produce um, um, you have been very busy in the kitchen and I am very inspired <laughs> I love it I just love it I, I told you I wake up thinking about what am I going to prepare like that salad was on my mind and I soaked the chickpeas the dried chickpeas the other day so I'm like and then I'm grilling those to have like grilled chickpeas after I you know obviously soaked them and cooked them <laughs> but now I'm grilling them and then I'm gonna throw them in my salad and it's just fun I just find it fun so I know not everybody finds it fun. I understand that I am more unique that way. And so what about with the clients that you work with? People come to you for what in particular, and then maybe they're not loving to be in the kitchen or they work a lot or they have a family, they have all these responsibilities. I know it's not easy. I didn't do this as much with my kids when I was raising three kids. Don't get me wrong. Now I'm at a place in my life where like it's me and my husband and this great kitchen and we can, you know, thankfully accumulate quality produce yes different lifestyles for sure and you know a lot of people that live in our community work outside of the community so they're traveling 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half to drive down the hill to go to work Mm -hmm. kids that go to school I think are about on the same schedule so I, I feel like they're about just as busy as these adults so I work with youth in the same way do you how early are you getting up? Are you bringing food with you? There's people that um, eat most of their meals in their car, you know, or um, on the bus or wherever, whatever their um, circumstances are. So understandable. Yes. And so working around that, I think is just creating that level of, of food accessibility that, that we're talking about, you know, what does that look like for your life versus your life versus your life? What does that look like right now? maybe there's a goal to change lifestyle and behaviors down the road, but waiting to match your diet to that can be really dangerous too. Like, yeah, I'm going to retire in a few years. I'll just hold out until then, then I'll start exercising. We, you know, we, we all know we can't do that. Um, And that's an extreme example. No one's ever said that, but (laughs) But people think that there's a lot of people that when I, I, I hear that a lot. Well, when later I'll be able to do that, you know, when my kids did da, it, da, 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 then I'll be able to do it. Da, da. Yeah. It's not all that extreme, actually, Rose. Right. OK, so what I found is that and I, I'm not even sure if I'm, I'm answering the question anymore, but <laughs> thing I have noticed is that I do find that most folks come come to see me seek nutritional services after thinking about it for a really long time, which, oh my gosh, that makes sense. I would too. It would be, and it's also some level of vulnerability. So for the most part, people come in and they have absolutely thought through the exact reason that they're seeking out nutrition because it's self-led, you know, they're not getting, I mean, some people are getting referred for particular reasons, but this is like, takes some some serious uh, 
need or some huge shift has happened in life and it often involves grief and so what i found that is that a lot of folks experience a food shift or or feel that they need to inevitably after experiencing a loss or a change or a transition or some level of grief um that can involve a diagnosis you know or being put on a medications i mean people experience grief around that and I didn't know that that would suit who I am in working with people so closely. That has become something that I love the most is that we actually get quite vulnerable when it comes to those levels of appointments of like, why, what is this reason for your food change? Yes, we're going to talk about the details and I'll, we'll talk recipes, but when did this all occur? And so everybody in the world has thought about their food intake or their nutrition, whatever they call it. But to get to a point where you're going to ask somebody for help, I think that's very brave. And I find that there's a lot of courage in the clients that come and see me and the questions that I ask and the things that I ask them to come back to me with, it takes some, a lot of honesty. Um, so I don't think I answered your question. I think I went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but no, I never considered the grief component having to do with our food and our diet and our, our lifestyle. That's, that's powerful. Like a little bit, of, I feel sad right now. Like that's hard. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. A lot of tears, you know, and then a lot of relief comes. And so we can relate this all back to like my kid's story of when I found out I had a wheat allergy and I thought I had to like stop eating or buy, I don't know, weird nutrition bars for the rest of my life it was a mini grief process in my own way back then and that was real for me people get told there's something going on with their body or they can't eat something anymore or their blood vessels are you know at risk that's trauma and so oftentimes it takes that level of acceptance of what's going on in their body to actually tell me what that is there I have seen that in all ages now throughout the life cycle and that's how powerful food can be. So when the relief comes of, oh my gosh, guess what? There might be something we can do. I mean, people just lose it. Like That's when they kind of just let go. And they're like, I had no idea that there was something I can do with food. It's a really specialized training. I understand that maybe it's just not something that people can um, and should throw out into their practice unless they're have you know the right background but I find that often people have not been counseled around food and that there's a huge amount of relief when we start to talk about like yeah like I said what can you do tomorrow or tonight with one ingredient let's start small let's make it affordable what do you actually like eating you know let's make it look like that yeah piece and gosh um and that's where I think we get um we get to a level where it is somewhat like counseling. And so I do consider it nutritional counseling what I do. But I think balancing that with food skills, cooking, sharing a little bit of food together, it just makes it a little bit more comfy. Wow, that's so powerful. I love that you're doing that work and that you made that connection. I mean, earlier you talked about the emotionality and I'm just thinking, oh, I'm stressed out, like that kind of emotion, but that grief wow that's really important healing work that needs to be done connected to the traumas and things like that 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I remember learning about a study of um, obese women. This was many, many years ago. And so it was a study that took place somewhere here in California, one of the UCs. And it was women who were overweight and they were putting them on this diet. You probably heard of this one. And then over time, you know, they did lose the weight, but then they gained it back. And it was, they weren't doing a lot of the, uh, the survey didn't include, it wasn't as in depth, right? But then after they saw this, that everybody gained their weight back, they went more deeply into surveying these people's past. And I, I think all, it might not be all, and I know it's been a long time since I read the study, had been sexually abused. Mm -hmm. And the eating and the obesity was the protection having this extra weight, right? And that's so powerful. Just knowing that it's like, wow, it's, it, it, you just don't realize the layers of emotionality on every level that affect our health on, you know, physical health, our diet, also our mental health, obviously eating more healthy foods, that anti-inflammatory that you're talking about and eating for our digestive health helps that um the brain as well right what do you know about that well i think what you're describing is this survival mode you know and kind of when we talk about trauma or we talk about sexual abuse how common that is for people to have health outcomes particularly with the reproductive systems after that we know there's a connection there with pcos for example almost always people have some type of traumatic history with these diagnoses um but how much time do they have with their provider to really get there? We'd love to get more time with these people. We just need to spend more time talking to them. When it comes to brain health and neurotransmitters, we know that our immune system mostly lives in our gut. And so again, like, you know, turning this into the positive side of things, we can take our bacterial health, we can change our microbiome, we can work with our neurotransmitters when it comes to each and everybody's individual gut. Um, we, look at a, we look at that through bacteria a lot now when we look at health. And so there's a lot of really exciting research around that. A lot of it involves um, people's fecal matter and what's being you know looked at there and how can we control our microbiome through our bacterial um, health. That, that's really where the brain-gut axis connection comes into play. Um, so many foods can make an impact on that axis. And without like naming off too many, chocolate is on that list, you know? And so I think just remembering that it's not all about kale. There are some really great foods. Chocolate is my medicine. I have dark chocolate every day. Thank you. Every day. I have a square or two or three of just really dark, no processed sugars, you know, no chemicals. It's just, I mean, the ingredients is like four ingredients. Mm -hmm. It's a traditional food. Yes. <laughs> yes. We can, there, it's, there's a large spectrum of healthy foods too. So just getting back to that part where we enjoy it and we have love again around food, you know, that's, that's that relationship piece. But yeah, I mean, bacteria, that's its own, that's its own conversation. And going into that kind of health would be something I'd love to get into with you. Yeah. Um, 
another t another I don't know we could do it now or later I don't know but uh we could go on forever I know um but I like how that one point you touched on it um in that last uh comment that you were making about the individual right yeah. because I hear often I mean I'm in the health world you know and I hear people say like oh name a vegetable or fruit it's so good for you a wild wild blueberries are good for you you know or this or that or it's good for you I'm like well you know it might be good for you <laughs> right so that's the other thing I don't know that we get a lot of permission around you know we get thrown all this information like it used to be they would tell me because I loved nuts and seeds and like oh you can't eat too many nuts and seeds because that's going to make you fat and I'm just like I've never been obese in my life and I love nuts and seeds and um so yeah it's like well maybe they make you fat but we get this little tiny bit of information and we don't know how to assimilate it into our uniqueness right our individualization and I think that's really important to acknowledge Absolutely. Yes. I mean, the first time I see someone, we talk for an hour and a half, you know, it's like a 90 minute interview. Wow. Then we go into recommendations. So it takes some patience there, but it does. How else are we supposed to get to know people, you know? And um, yeah, we all want the magic one food to eat every day and everything will be fine. But I think that would get boring. Honestly, you know, we'd get bored. We want, we want variety. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh, this is so great. I'm just curious, um, who inspires you, uh, like in terms of mentors or uh, information? How do you how do you get your inspiration, your knowledge? Um, I don't know, whether it's people or places or. Absolutely, I think um, living in Mariposa again. I've also been really conscientious about making sure that I'm still connecting to the greater world because I live, we live in this really beautiful rural um, country area. And I have made some fantastic relationships with some providers here locally, you being one of them. I think it's really important to have that relationship, regional kind of just bounce ideas off of each other is huge. Um, I still work closely with my school back in Portland. They're constantly doing research. They're constantly putting out, you know, different conferences and things that I can connect to virtually, which has just been awesome. Yeah. Um, I didn't have to lose that connection, but I read all the time. I read constantly. And I think um, a couple of the folks that I've been following are important to mention because you can read them too. Um, Dr. Drew Ramsey is a nutritional psychiatrist. So in a different field than I am, but I have been following that person's work for seven years, eight years. Um, he is working with several different doctors in uh, Jackson, Wyoming, and to do some really deep integrative work that is breaking barriers. Let's yeah, say. Necessary work. Yes. They are incredible. Um, Heather Zwicky has been the doctor of immunology that I've been learning from for years. She has um, really been focusing on autoimmunity and so working with her and following her research and just learning from her over the years. She's a previous professor of mine too. So um, just keeping up with her. The other institution that's like a non-academic um, group that I work with is the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. 
And I did some food as medicine work with them. They work solely with trauma survivors or war-torn areas. And so they'll go, um, they're in Gaza right now, feeding people, you know, doing mind-body work. And so I've worked with them to do uh, mind-body medicine trainings too, to work again with this kind of level of trauma that we see with food work. Um, it's really goes hand in hand. So the Center for Mind Body Medicine has been a really wonderful group of people to to aspire to. I wouldn't say I'm part of that group because they're just like <laughs> heroes, but I've learned a lot from them too. And um, and yeah, and more to come. You know, I mean, Institute of Functional Medicine, the American Nutrition Association, all of these kind of um, associations. I think nutrition is exploding, and food is. We are learning a lot about it right now. It's, it's so big, like holistic and integrative. You know, it used to be just fat, protein, carbs. You know, and that's all they ever talked about. And it's just so exciting to hear that psychology piece coming into it the uh, blood brain barrier stuff, our mental health, physically, how many diseases can be cured with just our diet alone? And we've been, we spent so much time looking at genetics. We know so much about our genes, right? We thought we were trapped in them for so long. And I think that's really where the shift has become really exciting is that yes, we all have a genetic makeup and I do believe in DNA. I also believe that there's things that you, one can do within one's lifetime to work within that helix and work with your phenotypic outcomes. And so the DNA has to express itself somehow. How does it get expressed? We, we are in control of that. Yeah. That's exciting, you know? And I think You're that getting we- And how empowering, say that one more time. It's so empowering. Stuck in our DNA. I mean, technically we have a hundred times the amount of bacterial and bacterial populations in our body than we do DNA. So really, if we're going to make changes, it's going to be in our microbiome. That can be done in one lifetime. Wow. So this is exciting. And I do think it's changing the way we look at medicine to start to think about, oh, wow, fiber does play into how our next phenotypical outcome is going to be. So when the DNA expresses itself, it has to go through the process of what it's going to look like on the outside. So whether or not we we're in control of how it's expressed and what it looks like. That's and empowering. We are in control of that. Yes. That's something to keep in mind too, that we're learning, you know? And so keeping up with the research and just um, that's where I think that reading and really making sure that those connections are made. It takes so long for this information to get to the general public that we need to make this more accessible. You know, let's get it out there. Yeah, and thank you for making that knowledge accessible to our audience here today. And hopefully they'll share some of this information and they'll, they'll take it in because I love that we can be empowered. Like we're often in our culture looking outside of ourselves for the answer. I've got to go take this medicine or this magic pill or this one particular food. But, you know, understanding the bigger picture of it all and that we can do it ourselves at the grocery store, even if we're on a budget, and even if it's a little more difficult, um, we can take something and, and improve it, whether it's our DNA, our genetics, or our choices at the grocery store, right? Based on whatever we can afford. At any, at any age too, you know, 
That's exciting. That's really I exciting. We, yeah, so continue. What do you know about at any age? I love this. Well, I think that's been one of the more inspiring things. Maybe I didn't, I didn't know, but, um, okay. I was really nervous to work with clients that were older than me when I first started, which was basically everyone. <laughs> and so a huge challenge, you know, uh-oh, I'm this young person um, just coming out of school. There's like this imposter syndrome, you know? Mm. It's been the exact opposite. The folks that I'm working with are like, thank you so much for going through school recently. You have recent updated information, full respect there. And then on my end, working with folks that are on all, all levels, but particularly the elderly population, working with the elders, I'm inspired because they're still making health changes. They're exercising, they're doing squats, you know? I mean, it's like, I get inspired just by talking to these folks who are still trying to improve their health at all points of the life cycle. Similarly, an 11 year old, an 18 year old, somebody that's like, hey, I actually think I'd like to get ahead of the game. Like, thank you. Because man, what if all of us had started at that age and I got to talk to people about calcium or things like how to cook an egg, you know, there's so much you can do at different points. And that's where I find a lot of the inspiration is that people think of, you know, they've been thinking, like I said earlier, they've been thinking about this for so long. Maybe I should see a nutritionist. Maybe I should talk to somebody about food. By the time they come to me, they have a lot of ideas. We just have to kind of organize it yeah. and categorize it and rename it maybe. But the life cycle thing is, it's very exciting what we can do, what we can prevent in advance, what we can do with uh, bone mineral density, with brain health, just to name a few things and try and to keep- to reverse, we can reverse things. Yeah. We can reverse diabetes, we can reverse lupus, we can reverse a predisposition, if you will, to dementia. Like we can actually reverse these things with our diet, you know, with drinking, with staying hydrated, water alone, water alone. If somebody was gonna, if I were to suggest, and I'm not a nutritionist, so you can tell me, Sharon, don't say things like that. <laughs> but water, I think if everybody in the world just increased their hydration um, with pure, clean, healthy water, that would be a huge health improvement in and of itself. If I were gonna say one thing, I would say water personally. Huge, huge. Yep. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> Drink up. <laughs> Not fancy. Oftentimes these things come down to these things, meaning, you know, the big questions of what, what we really need to do to improve our health. Um, it's often something that's recognizable. It's something that we can approach. It's, it's not scary or expensive. It's water, you know, I mean, some depends on where you are in the world, but I think that's, that's where um, nutrition can kind of get a bad reputation where it seems like you have to buy a bunch of stuff to get, to get healthy, you know, or to, to get started. Um, no, you know, and even when it comes to supplemental care, we really, we know that there's some supplements and vitamins that work for folks, but that's definitely not step one. You know, what can we do with food? All right. And then we're, well, don't, let's talk about the rest, but I think gosh, like we can be, make it sound really scary and fancy to look about, look into nutrition, but this is old 
you know, this is none of this is new. We've been eating since the beginning of time. These are things that we, I did not make up. It's just bringing to a clinical scale, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. It's ancient wisdom. It's sort of like the things that your grandmother may have told you, or if you had a great grandmother in your life as a kid, you know, it's just the stuff that they said that, you know, over time, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. And then here we come talk about full circle <laughs> back to what the ancestors knew. Absolutely. Yes. We've always been eaters for, I mean, yeah, it's something that we've needed since the beginning. We've always needed food to survive. And so I think that's why there is so much stress and and other issues around it because most of us have experienced something in our genetic history that has made it feel like it there we've there's it's been an issue in our past it's right. been and we're still experiencing that in the world and so i think when we look at what we can do today and what's in front of us you know can we grow one seed or protect some type of food source that's where we're headed next. And I really think with, um, when we start to talk about food and, and food security, it absolutely has to be a conversation that includes the climate and the environment and what's going to happen in our future. So those two things combined is like, yeah. sometimes a conversation, you know? Yeah, I understand. And that is, uh, sounds like that's a uh, top health concern for our community and for our yeah. as well which was a question I was going to ask, but um, I think you answered it without me even asking it. <laughs> Rose, you are amazing. I just want to let people know that they can uh, reach you by uh, via your website. Yes. Tell people how they can reach out to you if they want a session or a conversation with you. I think um, the easiest way to, to reach out is just through my website and really the only challenge is spelling my last name so it's rose blue hearty nutrition <laughs> that's my email rose blue hearty nutrition at gmail or you can just go to the website which is rose blue hearty nutrition.com um but folks can just it's i think i always recommend just reaching out and scheduling a 15 minute phone call and then we just talk on the phone if people are interested in actually being a client that gives them a little bit of a chance to ask me some questions and and let me know what it is that they're looking for in terms of support. So yeah, that's how you can get a hold of me. That's great. I'm so happy that you're doing this work. I'm so grateful that we had this time to visit and I could see us picking a different topic uh, around nutrition and just taking that forever as well in the future. So hopefully uh, we'll get a chance to do that. About you. your last name, why don't you go ahead and spell it so that they can more easily find you? Okay, so I, I'm Rose Fluhardy. So Rose, and then I'll spell Fluhardy for you. It's F-L-U-H-A-R-T-Y. And feel free to reach out. And Sharon, I do have to say, it's been so great getting to know you this year. I can't believe that it took this long for us to meet. It feels like it's a, a match made <laughs> a long time. We've been spirits forever and we're reconnecting karmically. It seems like it's just really perfect timing. So I'm just really happy to just have you here and, and be getting to know you. And this is great. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. 
Yeah, thank you so much. All right, well, I will see you in town, I'm sure. And uh, have a great day. Stay healthy. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Visit whitefawnwellness.com to learn more about our programs and how I might be able to help you. And remember to like us on Facebook and maybe leave a review on iTunes. Be happy and be well.